0: So hello and welcome everyone to the second episode of the Indian car person podcast. Now, before you guys kill me with the audio issues, well, uh, the first audio was on a different device and this one I'm experimenting with a different device. So it's it's a trial and error game and I would be very happy if everyone cooperates because I'm really learning as I'm going. I definitely acknowledge that the podcast has come a bit late this time and I have very good reasons for that. So, number one, uh, if you've not no, not been looking really carefully, we had some major car launches slash reveals this week and most of them happened towards the end of the week. So, I really couldn't, you know, pre-record a podcast. So, this is after the action has happened, this is after the uh, Urban Cruiser High Rider, the... Uh, brezza and the scorpio N have been out and been tested to a certain extent by car reviewers so this is after everything has happened so we're gonna mainly be covering these three cars because i feel they're all very important and i mean i think the brezza has been shadowed by the scorpio N and the high rider i'm gonna be honest about that along with that we have well silverstone is tomorrow or actually not tomorrow day after tomorrow uh, this is being recorded on the first of july so I can't really give you any Silverstone updates, but uh, there have been some major upgrades on all the cars for Silverstone. So I I might I might run through those as well for a brief period. Again, I as I said in the last podcast, I'm going to try my best to be more updated, more uh, closely watching the F1 scene. So let's get started with the Indian car news, which is going to be the major chunk for today's episode because. I don't think there's been anything very major uh, in the global scene, at least in this week. And I guess that's the negatives of having a weekly podcast. Anyways, let's start with the biggest car or the elephant in the room. I will not call the Scorpio an, an elephant. It's a beautiful car. I will not lie about it. It's a very well-rounded car. It has, it has almost everything you would want. And we were expecting from the Scorpio and more. Uh, And I mean, with so many launches happening in this week, I think it was a bit overwhelming. I wish the car makers had, you know, spread it out a bit and it could have been better for automotive journalists and influencers as well as us car people because they all have their own plus and minuses. They all have their own USPs and the reasons you are waiting for them. But all of them together has just made our memories a bit uh, mishmashed. But anyways, so the Scorpio N has been revealed, and it has been uh, they've revealed the prices for the diesel uh, and petrol manual versions only. The automatics and the four wheel drives will come later on. I think in about a month is what they have announced. But let's see about that. The the cars were revealed and they were tested by automotive journalists, so we have a rough idea of how the cars uh, behave on on the ground. I think they tested all the versions. They were given a four wheel drive version for. A brief off-roading sort of session and they were given automatics for the long-term stuff and the manuals have reached dealerships as far as i know so you can probably even check out the scorpio N at your nearest dealership i was very close to saying the big daddy but i will not say that because i hate that marketing jive also so i mean while the car is brilliant and it has its own design elements and its own uh unique features There's been a video going around where Pratap Bose, the head of design for Mahindra, has been saying that Scorpio was the first one to bring vertical tail lamps and the Scandinavians have copied from them. And I would do a quick fact check on this one because it's it's not true. It is definitely false because uh, I'll explain why. So the first generation of the Scorpio was launched in 2002. Now, we're not even talking about the Scandinavians. Let's come to the Scorpio first. Uh, And that first generation of the Scorpio did not have vertical tail lamps. It has those small cubical sort of tail lamps in the back which were pretty iconic for the Scorpio as well. It was only in the facelift which came in the year 2009 that the vertical tail lamps were first released. And even the uh, recent facelift, which will now become the Scorpio Classic, does not actually have vertical tail lamps. The tail lamps are the small cubes at the bottom, and they've only added some sort of cladding on top where in the previous facelift generation, they had reflectors. So technically speaking, Scorpio only had vertical tail lamps of one generation of the car, which was not even an actual generation. It was just a facelift of the original car. Now coming to the part for the Scandinavians, which obviously is is Volvo. uh, they have had vertical tail lamps since the 1990s so i don't know unless volvo had a time machine there's no way they could have you know created the vertical tail lamps in the 1990s with their station wagons and the xc90 also for that matter and uh copied the design that mahindra launched with the scorpio in the year 2009 so i call bs on that and i think uh while there is controversy surrounding it i think you can just Say that it's an inspired design element, it's not uh, particularly inspired by the Scandinavians, even though it looks very similar. And it is uh, a tribute to the Scorpio generation that was launched in the 2009. It is pretty simple to say that, but I guess uh, we won't get that for now. Anyways, back to the Scorpio N. So, I think there are a few misses on the car, which I would say are the auto dimming IRVMs, ventilated seats, and a few creature comforts like that. But apart from that, at least from what I have seen, it's an impressive car. Everything from the diesel to the petrol, uh, at least the versions that we have seen as media uh, have been testing it, uh, they seem to be pretty well-rounded. Handling has been improved a lot. And the size, the sheer size of that thing, I think that's the biggest attraction, at least for me, I would say, because I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but on Indian roads... The size of your car is very important it, it almost determines the respect you would get in traffic take a small car you'll get crushed in city traffic and take a big car and everyone will move aside for that factor alone the scorpio is offering a lot at 11 to 20 lakhs uh, it's almost as big as the Fortuner, and in certain dimensions even bigger than the fortune and the fortune is a massive car i'm thoroughly impressed by it and credit where credit is due to mahindra i would I definitely like that car and I was almost almost certain that I would want to buy a Scorpio N till I saw the high rider but more on that later. So as per the specifications uh, the Scorpio gets a proper four-wheel drive system so this is not the all-wheel drive system like the XUV700. Also the craze that people have for this car like uh, all the media cars have been out so so many people have just been stopping those cars to check it out. And that's the kind of sort of legendary status the Scorpio has in India. I I feel from that generation, from the 2002s, uh, almost all the legends that we had are dead. The Sumos dead. The Indicas is dead. Uh, the 800 is dead. Take any car for that matter from those legendary years, it's dead. The Safari that we have right now is a joke. And I, I think we all know that it's just a Harrier Plus and they could have just called it that, but they wanted to juice the Safari name. So I can't really consider that to be a tribute to the legendary Safari that we had back in those days. But I feel the Scorpio has been given proper justice from what a legend it had been since 2000s to now becoming the Scorpio N, which is a proper, I would say, all-rounder, off-road oriented SUV. Uh, And I feel that if if you have only one car that you want to buy in your garage, I think the Scorpio N can be a very good contender because comparing it with anything else in this segment of, say, 11 to 20 lakhs, everything else looks like a joke in comparison, especially the Korean brothers and even the German brothers. I mean, the bang for the buck the Scorpio N offers is incredible. And I am very happy that Mahindra is doing this and Indian automakers are pushing the bar uh, as much as they can to to push the Indian automotive industry into an age where even Indian uh, automakers are competitive. This will only bring out positive changes where we'll compel the foreign uh, automakers to also bring us good competitive products, especially in these times of chip shortages and overpriced cars. As with any Mahindra product these days, there is also a very big, very big uh, negative and looking at the amount of craziness that people have had for this car and the the phenomenal product and the pricing that Mahindra have brought in, I'm very scared to even know what waiting period this car will have. (laughs) I mean, I almost feel like Mahindra should just buy a new factory or do something to sort this out because if, if the Thar and the XUV were something to take reference from the craze for the Scorpio and at least from what I've seen till now is, at least twice of that combined. So, I don't know, I think the cars will be coming in 2026 if Mahindra doesn't do something about the supply chain and, and their manufacturing. And I feel that's unfair because the love and the sort of enthusiasm the Indian people are showing for this car and the ability for them to upgrade from a tin can sort of a Korean car to a to Scorpio N, which is a robust, solid car, it's, it's it's something they deserve and I feel Mahindra should really buck up and give the people what they deserve and deliver the cars fast as fast as possible with as less niggles as possible which is also an issue because the XUV700 has a lot of issues in the first units and I think uh, almost all cars these days have issues in their first one year of sales and Tata cars have issues in all the years of their sales. I'm sorry that's just a joke. That kind of summarizes my thoughts on the Scorpio N, phenomenal for off-roading, phenomenal all-round car, I would say, a very, very good contender in this 11 to 20 lakh segment. Uh, I'm sure the automatics, once they release this car, will stretch out to almost 24, 25 uh, X showroom, 25 lakhs INR X showroom, uh, and the all-wheel drive variants, obviously, on top of that but even then i feel this is a this is a brilliant proposition and Mahindra I have done a phenomenal job with this car uh, i think uh, because of the leak culture and the current uh, automotive cycle we almost knew everything about this car for about a few months now so there's not much of excitement around it but i think it was more about the performance of the car and the overall package that we were very curious to know curious to see and understand and that's why i feel it is. It it did surprise us to a certain extent, even though we knew every single detail about it. Also, would be my recommendation for someone who's looking to buy a car in this segment, even the rear-wheel drive versions and the manuals for that matter. Although I've heard that the the variant distribution is a bit iffy, and like they've removed a lot of features from even the second to the topmost variants and the mid variants. But I guess I'll have to do a bit more research on that and we'll get to know once the cars are dispatched because right now everything is the top end variant cars going to showrooms are all top end variants albeit in uh, automatic and manuals but they've all been top uh, the topmost uh, variants so that's why we can't really judge as of now but hopefully by next week or by the end of july at least we'll be able to uh, know what what they've done as as far as the feature distribution goes through the variants but i think that's that's about it for the copy N. And now we can move on to the next car. So while the Scorpio N launch had happened and then the media rise had started, another car was revealed and this was also a big selling car. This is one of the largest selling SUVs in India for a few years now. I can't remember how long, but it's been a while. And it is a major car for this particular manufacturer. I think we all know about it. It's the Brezza. It's not the Vitara Brezza, but more on that later. So, The Maruti Suzuki Brezza, it's still based on the same platform as the old Brezza. I know there have been a lot of confusion, a lot of disputes and debates about this. But Maruti is a very cost conscious manufacturer, so they will not change something unless it's absolutely broken. And the only thing broken with the Brezza was the lack of features and a lack of updation to bring it to the year 2022 especially looking at the rivals and the korean siblings who offer everything under the sun Uh, brezza really had to pull up its socks even though it was still selling a lot uh, even without doing any of this it's a welcome change and i think we are all happy about it and this brezza is now the first car of maruti suzuki to have a sunroof which is a big deal and it shows how important the sunroof has become for uh, an indian car buyer and i feel There is a big story behind this, which I would say is related to the psychology of the Indian consumer. So sunroofs have been coming in cars in the Western countries for as long as you can probably remember. But in India, the sunroof was always an aspirational, you know, luxury car feature. Even though the cars that we got in the lower segment, uh, were offered with sunroofs abroad they were not offered in India and that really made the Indian consumer crave a sunroof because it just became a sign of opulence it's like a Rolex or a or a supreme handbag no one there is no intrinsic value to it but because of uh, the kind of nature that was created psychologically for it it's become an item we all crave and now everyone wants a sunroof in their car and so just high time Maruti uh, gave in to this needs of getting a sunroof in their in their sub four meter SUV to make it more competitive. So that's what they have done with this new Brezza. Uh, the looks have been updated. I think it looks uh, decent. I mean, there there are a few features which uh, pop out to your eye because Maruti is known for doing designs which are you know soothing to the eye, not controversial. Yes, they may look ugly sometimes, but you can at least look at them. So there are certain features in the brezza which i would say are brave design uh design functions and some choices have been made to you know make the car look a certain way so there have been elements in the car which make it look like a range Rover evoke uh, particularly the c pillar as well as the roof line what they've done with it kind of give that feeling there's nothing i would say very special. Of course, they have upgraded it and there's every single feature under the sun, which is a brilliant thing from Maruti Suzuki because it shows that our features that we used to find useless and used to find flimsy have now become important for the Indian customer as well as become reliable enough for a brand like Maruti and later in the week as we saw Toyota bringing them into their mainline cars. It just shows that we've come a long way from having unreliable flimsy features to Features that actually function and actually actually are reliable uh, for the for the duration that this car might be owned and run, so that's a that's a good thing. But uh, lots of part sharing in the interiors and the interior quality has remained more or less similar. The and the engine front is kind of disappointing, even though we all expected it, and we can't really expect Maruti to do any better because it's not a performance brand. Please, guys, Maruti is a very cost-oriented brand. It's like. Providing just enough power for every single use case that that car might go through and I personally own a Maruti Ertiga, uh diesel from the year 2013 with a 1.3 litre turbo diesel engine and there's not been a single time where I've felt oh I wish this car had more power but I mean there are times I wish it had more power but it has never disappointed me on the road it takes or overtakes whenever needed it climbs mountains it does highway runs it does everything uh with that puny engine and with the turbo lag that it had back in the day so i feel my uh, maruti follows that principle very well that it takes the engine to the ragged edge of performance in a way that it is very efficient it does the job but it doesn't give any pleasure of one. and i think that is fine for a car that is a car that is supposed to appeal to everyone because not everyone wants performance in their car some people are learning for the first time some people have a uh, drivers driving their cars, some people are old and they drive their cars. So everyone has a different use case and Maruti wants to be as widely appealing as possible. And for that case, I think that engine is fine and it is extremely efficient, especially in the automatic, which I can't believe that those are the true figures, but Maruti can do magic with uh, fuel efficiency. So. So I don't think I can be skeptical about it because I'm sure that car can actually pull it off. And it does, I think almost 19 claimed uh, ARAI, uh, efficiency with a 19 K MPL, uh, with the six speed, uh, tra- uh, TC or automatic gearbox with paddle shifters, which is incredible. But of course it doesn't have the performance to really take, uh, take charge through the paddle shifters, but still with an automatic, getting that kind of an efficiency is brilliant, especially in today's day. So, Credit where credit is due. I think the Brezza, an uh, underwhelming launch, largely because of two reasons. Uh, the first one being, well, the lack of freshness. I would say because there's a lot of part sharing. the The heads-up display, the 360-degree camera, uh, the uh, the infotainment system, the automatic climate control, all of the part sharing bins have they have remained. So. There was no surprises there. And the looks were different, of course, but again, not to everyone's taste, which is new for Maruti, I would say. And the second reason why I think everyone is not very happy with that car is the prices. Now, considering what is going on in the car market right now, I think the prices are justified, especially with the features that it's offering. It's offering most features than the Venue and the Sonnet, which is nuts. But uh, being a Maruti, people expected it to be a little more, uh, efficient in terms of pricing, but uh, somehow they've not not done that because the top-end Brezza runs up to 13 lakhs ex-showroom. So that is a big hefty price for a sub 4-meter car. Uh, I feel partly has to blame the engine for that because the 1.5-litre petrol attracts a different uh, taxation that kind of pushes the price ahead of its rivals which have smaller turbo engines and get a taxation benefit also due to the sub 4 meter length. But let's see how it sells. I mean, I think it's already on sale as we speak and they've gotten a lot of bookings for it. But it remains to be seen if if the new Brezza can dethrone itself as the largest selling SUV. Uh, The old Brezza's have set a lot of records for Maruti. At one point, Maruti became the largest SUV seller in India with just one SUV and that's also not really an SUV. So let's see, let's see what this Brezza does. Um, Now now we can go to, I think the third car that was released this week, which we have the least information about, uh, which we had the least information about even before the launch. So it was really exciting to see and really, I would say fresh to see what the car has and what the car offers but there's a lot of mystery still around it and the car is still I think two to three months away from being delivered to customers. The car I was talking about is the Toyota Urban Cruiser High Rider. Now that's a very big name and I will start with the name itself and I feel bringing Urban Cruiser into the name is a mistake. I feel that itself is suddenly making people relate that this car is somehow in the sub four meter segment in a replacement for the urban cruiser which is absolutely not i mean this is based on the global suzuki vitara uh, if you've seen and that's a beautiful car a very elegant car and a very safe car so i think toyota has the set right and that's a great thing but adding urban cruiser in this name really confuses everyone number one and number two it it is a very long name so what I usually do when I'm thinking of names of anything, it's basically thinking of how people in a very casual way will refer to that car. So the XUV 500 became the XUV. The XUV 700 will also become the XUV when someone refers to it in a conversation. A non enthusiast refers to it in a conversation. And so would, would the Urban Cruiser High Rider be referred to as just the High Rider? Or will people call it an urban cruiser which is a lower car again and it would not be right for the car as well as the people who bought the car to refer to this car as an urban cruiser. So all this confusion that has been brought about could have been easily solved by just calling this car the Toyota High Rider. Simple, straightforward and fresh. I mean High Rider in a way is not a brilliant name but it's a hybrid, it's a car so it rides. so. I guess it kind of makes sense. So that is fine, but adding Urban Cruiser into it really just confuses, especially the masses, which is what this car targets because it has to sell units. Now coming to all the other things about this car, which I am absolutely a fan about. This car looks beautiful. In this segment, there are not a lot of cars which have such good proportions. I mean, every car in this segment has certain angles which look good. The Aster has certain angles which look good, the Tiguan has certain angles which look good, uh, the Khushak has certain angles which look good, the Creta has certain angles, but there's not a single car in this five-seater SUV segment. So Scorpion will not be included in this In this segment that looks this beautiful from every angle. The proportions, the styling, it's it's just perfect. It feels so good. And the moment this thing was revealed, I was just shocked by it. It was really shocking because of how much of a secrecy that Toyota had created around this car. There there was not a single leak. That thing, I think really uh, excited everyone to look forward to this launch. The second surprise I would say was the panoramic sunroof. I really did not think this car was going to get a panoramic sunroof. I had expected the same sunroof that the Brezza has gotten because this car will get a Suzuki version in the future, and that is why the Vitara Brezza is just the Brezza now because the high rider's Suzuki version will be called the Vitara because that's exactly the car it's been based on. So, if the high rider has a panoramic sunroof, that means the Vitara is also getting a, a panoramic sunroof, and that is crazy that Maruti just jumped from getting only a sunroof for the first time in their cars to having a panoramic sunroof within the span of almost two days because this car has been jointly developed by Toyota and Suzuki and majority of this car is is Suzuki and there's no doubt about it but it's the good Suzuki, it's the Suzuki that we all desire the Suzuki that has been sold in western countries and we have been deprived of I think it's a brilliant package and I have not found a single flaw in this car yet I think if I have to be really nitpicky about it I would, I would be saying the engines could have been better I mean the hybrid is brilliant i'm sure it does a great job because it's a toyota setup so it's a fresh engine fresh powertrain for india but uh the the mild hybrid version which will also get the all-wheel drive which is another brilliant part i'll get on to later that that engine could have been better is the same mild hybrid 1.5 that the brezza gets the Aortiga gets the xl6 gets the CS gets it's just, it's getting to a point where that engine is annoying me uh, and I think it's not just the issue with the engine. I think it, it just, it doesn't feel lucrative enough and a car that is this beautiful and this well-rounded, I feel it deserved a better engine, a more exciting engine in some way. I mean, just do a little tune, make it a little different, make it more torquey or make it more powerful. Uh, do something Maruti. Just Give it a little punch, especially for this car. Because it's it's a beautiful car, and I, I personally will buy it eyes closed. I probably will consider this car as soon as it's launched as a replacement for my aging Ortega. But I genuinely wanted the engine to be slightly better. But again, looking at the the package this car is the features it is offering, the quality in the interior, so. There have been a lot of journalists who sat in the car today. Today was the uh, unveiling of the car in the morning today. So a lot of journalists who sat in this car have said this car has quality levels in the interior that are exceeding Fortuner levels, which is incredible because the expectation sharing all these platforms and parts with Suzuki was like, we expected it to just be a bad job at best. it's it's way beyond a bad job one and two they have really worked on all the shortcomings that they have previously which i feel both maruti and toyota deserve our uh, credit for and it's a great effort because both of them didn't really have to do it toyota is selling inovas and Fortuners in bulk and maruti is selling literally everything on earth in bulk so they didn't really have to push themselves to get out of their comfort zone the comfort zone of maruti being 2 to 10 lakh segment is the is the comfort zone of Maruti that's where they offer the most amount of cars and the comfort zone of Toyota is of course the 20 to 50 lakh region where they offer the you know the Fortuner. and both of them went out of their comfort zone and entered this 10 to 20 lakh segment which is the hottest segment in India right now and which both of them didn't really have any offerings for. They came out of their comfort zone and they made something with a lot of passion I feel because every single thing they've taken care of. There are three headrests at the back, which are all adjustable. There is wireless charging. There's ventilated seats. Uh, There's the electric drive modes. There's a full hybrid system into the car. All of these things they could have easily avoided and given us an underpowered, uh, a half-assed product, but they didn't do that. They chose to work on everything that we criticize them for and make a product together. That's absolutely stunning and the only thing i guess right now we can we need to wait about is is the pricing and if the pricing is right and by right i mean starting price 9.99 lakh ex showroom and top spec all bells and whistles included 21.5 uh, lakh ex showroom that that is sort of my my ambitious sweet spot for this car of course, the reality might be different and experts might say that that's not a practical price point. But in my eyes, at least, that is the segment. If, if they get the pricing in this region, I think this this car will be unstoppable. No one will care about diesels and everyone will just pounce on this car because it just it's perfect package. There's not a single flaw that I can think of in the current segment. For this car i mean unless i'm being extremely nitpicky about it so beautiful car beautiful car by toyota and beautiful effort by suzuki and i guess i'm excited to now see the suzuki version of this car uh the vitara how would that look and what would it be called because vitara is just a name we're assuming it may be called but it can be called something else uh we, we are not sure but let's see i guess the, the Suzuki version is about two to three months away, but I'm not sure because these time they've done, they've generally put effort into differentiating the vehicles. It's not a bad job like the Ballino and the Galanza are or the old uh, Vitara Brezza and the Urban Cruiser are. These are two different cars, distinctly different cars, at least as far as the visual uh, appeal goes. And I'm sure uh, they will do something about the features and some of the hybrid technology differing between these two cars to really make the customer choose because uh, right now it's just if you want a, a Balino with a Toyota badge you get a Galanza and if you want a Galanza with a Suzuki badge you get a that That's the only difference they have but with this car they have the opportunity to really separate some of the features and maybe preserve some features for Toyota being a more premium badge and a premium offering. and give the suzuki version a slightly less feature packed uh package and give it a more appealing uh more tempting price point it would be a win-win for both companies so the urban cruiser high rider will be built in the toyota factory for now but i've heard that as uh production will ramp up and the vitara version will come out uh they would be built in the same factory which i feel makes sense because they essentially are the same cars just with A bit of a feature distribution done uh, differently and body panels being slightly different, which I'm hoping would be slightly different because I've not yet seen the Vitara version and I don't think anyone has seen this car yet. So I think that summarizes my current thoughts with the Urban Cruiser High Rider. Of course, these thoughts will change once uh, media drives happen. People drive this car. I, I am actually considering to go see the car because from July 2nd onwards, these cars should be available in your Toyota showrooms locally to view. You can't test drive the cars yet, of course, but you can view them. And I I genuinely think I might want to go to a Toyota showroom for the first time in my life and check this car out. So yeah, my opinions can change after I check out the car, after I see the media drives, and after the pricing has been revealed. I think pricing is the most uh, important element out of these three points because The first two can be personal opinions and like can differ from person to person. But if they get the pricing right, everyone will close their eyes and just buy this car. And that is very, very essential. But I don't know. I am not not very optimistic about it. I can keep my fingers crossed and we all can do that. Till the pricing of this car is finally revealed for all of us. This brings us to the end of the Indian car news segment of of this podcast for today. And we have only one, I guess, news in the national car uh, news segment, and it's a very interesting one, especially considering what has happened in the past uh, with the Aston Martin Valkyrie and the AMG one that I covered last time. Apparently, Red Bull Advanced Technologies have announced they're going to release a road car. So this is going to be a hypercar developed under the direction of Andre Newey, the same guy who was doing the Valkyrie and. Uh, Initially, they had begun this partnership. It was actually a Red Bull Aston Martin car, but they had broken up for some reason. And that is why there were multiple delays on the Valkyrie project. And even the Valkyrie was designed by Adrian Newey. And this one is also going to be apparently designed by Adrian Newey. From the teaser images, uh, you can look them up. It's the RB17 now. It looks pretty similar to the Valkyrie. I'm going to be really honest about it. And even the power figures and uh, the horsepower figures kind of are very similar. There are going to be only 50 of these made, and it's the pricing that really makes me oh, I don't know what to say. 6.13 million dollars per car, not for all 50, it's per car. That is insane. I don't think recently we have had any car that's been this pricey. I mean, apart from some Bugatti special editions, but 50 of these will be made. So $6.13 million per car. But uh, as of now, we only have the teaser image, with sort of a line drawing of the RB17. Uh, we don't have an official name and would it have a bull on the front? What would it have on the front? It's, I'm thinking about the badge, uh, what kind of a badge would this car hold? Because it's a Red Bull advanced technologies car. Would it have a bull? Would they put a Lamborghini logo up front? <laughs> That's a joke. It remains to be seen, and I guess there's a lot of development that is yet to come for this car. Uh considering how long the Valkyrie project took and every other hypercar is taking these days to be developed. You know, because they're trying to push the envelope, trying to push every single parameter of, of a hypercar. There's gonna be a lot of development that will happen and It would be interesting to see this car i think this would be the next generation of hypercars so the current generation being the valkyrie the amg1 and uh, even the remark concept 2 also known as the nevera all of these cars being the current generation of hypercars the rb17 would join the next generation which i don't think we have had a lot of announcements for But I'm sure Porsche is working on something behind the scenes. I'm sure Lamborghini might want to join in. And I'm certain that McLaren and Ferrari also have something up their sleeve. So fun times, even though those times are almost six to seven years from now, it'll be interesting to see what happens and how far can we push this envelope of internal combustion engine hypercars. This brings us to the final segment of today's podcast today's very brief podcast I would say I never promised that this podcast was going long so I can I can I can do this anyways so let's begin with the F1 upgrades for Silverstone so as of now as of the recording of this podcast the Fp2 has been over and Carlos Sainz has come out on top followed by Lewis Hamilton and Lander Norris which is I guess the perfect trio I would say so there have been a lot of updates done by a lot of teams I would say the biggest upgrade package I think has been uh, for Williams. They've done 12 upgrades on their car. Uh, they've done the front wing, the front corner, the side pot inlet, the flow fences, the flow body, the halo. They've done a lot of upgrades. And I guess there's only hope that uh, these upgrades bring them better results. And even though, the qualifying or the FP2 might say something else. I think the final race is all we need to wait for because in, in the past, all the final races have had completely different results from qualifying sessions or FP2 or FP1 practices. Uh, followed by Williams, we have Mercedes with six upgrades, which I feel is going to eventually make them a strong team and a strong contender this year even though I feel they have they have lost the plot for the championship they can definitely finish second or third in the constructors championship this year so mercedes with six upgrades uh, aston martin with five upgrades i am i'm just happy aston martin is still trying even though i think we both know that aston martin will not make a big dent on the uh, points chart probably for this season at least Uh, But glad they have not given up, and they're still pushing through as much as they can, and they're helping Vettel to to become a more competitive uh, player, especially as he's been consistently performing well from the beginning of the season. Uh, Then we have Red Bull with four upgrades. I don't know why Red Bull needs upgrades because these guys are on fire right now. I think there's only one team that really needs upgrades, and that is Ferrari. After Red Bull, we have Alpine with three, three upgrades, and then we have McLaren with two, and Alfa Romeo with just one, along with Haas and Ferrari also with just one upgrade. Alfa Tauri has zero upgrades, but I really feel they need to upgrade the their DRS system after what what happened in in Baku. So that sort of sums up uh, the upgrades for Silverstone this time. Uh, I feel this is a, quite a major upgrade. There have been uh, previous updates as well, but. As I see, these teams are getting stronger by every race, just by pure skill and uh, the pure perseverance that they have. So adding upgrades to it is just making it more interesting and making this entire uh, lineup a more level playing field, I would say, almost. I am sure the Red Bull car is way faster than everything else, followed by Ferrari, but... As these cars are getting upgraded and the drivers are getting more and more competitive, I feel that it's almost becoming like all the cars are similar and all the teams have just enough skill to be competitive with each other and fight for a race win. So maybe in the next podcast, I will cover what happens in Silverstone and I am I promise I will watch the Silverstone race this time. Uh, I'm pretty excited also about it, especially being uh, Lando, Russell, and uh, Hamilton's home ground. It's going to be fun to see how these three specially perform in their home racetrack. It's going to be an interesting race this Sunday. So definitely looking forward to it and getting back to you guys in the next show. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Uh, it's a pretty short one, I agree. And it's it's a day late which i'm sorry about but as you saw the car launches were happening all over the week and so it was really tough for me to really summarize everything properly uh, and send the podcast out on time i'll make sure next time it gets better but ask the car makers to launch their cars with more gaps in between come on guys so anyways that brings us to the end of the podcast uh i hope the audio this time is better and i hope uh, you guys enjoyed this podcast, uh, and for any feedback, do get back to us at the Indian Car Person at the and we are also on Instagram as the Indian Car Person. Follow us. Let us know what you think, and we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now. We're working on getting on Google Podcasts, so I'll let you know in the next podcast maybe uh, where we have reached on that. Please leave us a rating on uh, Apple Podcast and Spotify because that helps us reach out to more people and allows us to be found by more people like you and thank you for listening